the ASCO Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton. I'm Rebecca Boomer-Clark and I'm the Chief Exec of AET. And Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us. And we call you Bex, I think, don't we? Could you just say a little bit about um, your, your background? How, how do you find yourself where you are as Chief Exec of AET? Yeah, happy to. And, and please do call me Bex. Only my mother calls me Rebecca. Um, so I'm a fourth generation teacher. If people ask me what I do, I still I still tell them that I'm a teacher. And I think that probably reflects my my identity. Uh, I trained as a PE teacher. Uh, my first senior leadership role was in Exeter. Uh, I set up a school sport partnership. So from early on, I've worked across quite large numbers of schools. We had 72 schools in that partnership then. Um, I then moved to Bristol. Uh, where I was a vice principal at one of the original academies. Um, And at the time, it was the lowest performing school in the lowest performing local authority in the country. So um, it had only one direction to go in, really. And it was an incredible experience, Uh, but really tough, really tough, really demanding, taught me as much about myself um, as any other experience, actually. Uh, And a term in, uh, the founding principal, John Williams died tragically. He was really young. He was only 40 and he was skiing at the time. And uh, I became head. And so I found myself, yeah, it was, it was one of those moments. Um, I went home at the weekend, uh, a deputy in a really tough school. And I, and I returned on, on Monday and and acting head and then, and then eventually head. Um, And so, so that was my sort of formative experience of, of, of headship. And I think it's, it's really influenced my leadership ever since. That was within Oasis, um, so Oasis at the very start. So I've worked in large national trusts, um, really from the beginning of my, of my well, the second job in leadership. And I moved through the ranks, I guess. We built a, a regional structure uh, and we worked together really effectively in Bristol. Uh, about a term into my headship, I was asked to chair this local area partnership, which seemed ridiculous because I was completely inexperienced to do the job that I was doing, let alone support other much more experienced school leaders to, to, to maximise the opportunities for collaboration. But I did it and, um, and we built something really powerful and eventually a couple of primary schools that were our feeder schools came with us and that was the sort of, that was the start of a, of a strong region, a strong cluster of schools. Um, from there I went to become the National Education Director for, for Oasis and I was, I was really happy. It was challenging. It was interesting. I was working all across the country and uh, I didn't really expect to, to go and join the department. But um, I was approached about the regional schools commissioner role in the southwest and put myself forward and was successful and did that for a couple of years, which was, again, another incredible learning experience. It was fascinating to be within the department. It was an enormous privilege to be able to spend time in literally hundreds of schools meet some incredible leaders and teachers along the way. Uh, and, but I always knew that I wanted to get closer, closer to that sort of direct impact in, in schools and in classrooms. And the opportunity came for me to go and work with Lucy Heller at ARC. And I jumped at it uh, and went to ARC, work there for, for four years, learned a huge amount. Uh, and, then, and then the AET role came up and uh, here I am. Wow. Now, there's so, so much to, to talk about there, so we, we won't get to all of it. Let me just go right back to the very beginning. So you, you train and you become a PE teacher. And I, I was head of a sports college. So when you talk about the school sports partnerships, that for me was a defining moment of looking beyond your own school to, uh, to, to work with other schools uh, across the community. So I totally get that. But what was it that made you think as that young 
PE teacher that actually you wanted to step into leadership? I think I've always been more inclined to lead than to follow. Yeah. And and so I knew early on that I wanted to have I wanted to have a big impact on as many children as, as possible and I wanted to be challenged. Uh, I and and so I I know I always knew that I wanted a sort of a sense of scale and scope and challenge in any role. The the school sport partnership role just sort of naturally spoke to my sense of teamwork and, and belief in collaboration. And I think that that opportunity was was one of those moments that you're really perceptive to pull it to, to, to pull it out from my sort of career chronology because it, it was a completely different way of working. And it was about building partnerships from scratch. It was about recognising the impact of wider school life on young people. And so I think from that point, point onwards, I, I didn't really look back because it really taught me that we could achieve so much more through powerful networks of schools coming together in pursuit of a common of a common goal. Uh, and so from there, I think it was probably inevitable that I was going to be drawn to working in, in, in what were then the sort of embryonic trust system. Yeah, and I'm going to come back to that idea of, uh, of networks of schools, because clearly that's the direction of travel from the government uh, at the moment. But let me just pick out two two of the themes of what you've said and, and come up with a hypothesis if this isn't too kind of pretentious. So first, first of all, you mentioned Bristol. My, my memory is that one of the defining characteristics of Bristol is there had been an extraordinary flight of a lot of middle class parents to send their children to independent schools, which always made it more difficult for schools in Bristol. So you, it was about, if I'm right, re-engaging parents to say, actually, these schools can do great stuff for you. So just hold that thought for a second. And secondly, Oasis particularly defined about a social mission which goes beyond a kind of narrow set of metrics, a real sense of community. So am I right in saying that bringing together that sense of being in Bristol and the social mission that Bristol needed, but also the Oasis outlook on life, those two things would be really important to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I knew I was drawn to work in the academies movement. Um, I was I was energised by the mission of sort of transforming schools that had that had been underperforming for generations. I mean, there was an element of sort of geographical pragmatism in that I, I'm from the southwest. You know, I went to school in Cornwall, and Bristol was as far as the academies movement had got. Um, so so that that there's that's definitely a factor. Yeah. But but once I once I went, I mean, the school that I that I went to in Bristol was was actually a really interesting example of sort of social engineering gone wrong at one stage. So school in a really in, in a really proud um, uh, a local community, which was you know, seriously deprived, was closed. And those children were moved to what was what was then sort of probably a sort of high performing secondary modern comprehensive school. Um, we saw sort of middle class flight when 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 the kids from over over the airport road descended upon this school that really wasn't well equipped to deal with them. Uh, and gradually you ended up with a, with a community that was disempowered by education. They'd had their school taken away. They'd been sort of transplanted into another school where its natural community had just decided, actually, we can go into, in, into the sort of Chew Valley and, and, and the wider domains and have, a, have a, a, a very different experience of education. And it just became, it, 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 it was a real mess uh, because it was a school that didn't have the capacity to deal with the challenges that it faced. 
but it was also a real example of how important it is that that communities feel connected to education and that linked to the link to the sense i think in all oasis schools still today that they they should exist at the center of their communities is definitely something which i which i've taken with me and so then you were at, at the dfe so a very different kind of role working different way as you've said and then you you come to aet now it'd be worth just kind of talking through AET because it's a, a it's had an extraordinary history sometimes I think fair to say slightly checkered history but nevertheless is providing education on a pretty mammoth scale uh, geographically as well as anything um, so what was it about AET that made you think actually that is a role I would like to step into where many people might have looked at it and thought gosh you know it, it would just be uh, t- too overpowering in terms of what what I might have to do there yeah well my first headship tells you that i like a challenge and don't sort of shy <laughs> true, away from them true, yeah i think that my experience has been working in in sort of national trusts so i i i had a sense quite early on that that when the time was right for me to lead a trust it would be one of the one of the large the larger national trusts i'm i'm really interested to to understand more about the significance of place I'm really interested in how we can deliver an entitlement to education for all children, no matter what part of the country they live in. And so the scale of AET was a real draw to me. And I also, you know, I I describe this as the fifth phase of of AET. And it's the phase of, of focusing on education, of moving from turnaround, which was well executed by my predecessor, to, to focusing on well, what does high performance mean? What tangible impact can we deliver for children and teachers in classrooms? And so when, when the opportunity um, arose, it felt, like a, it felt like a natural fit, uh, partly because of the profile of my career and experience to date, but partly because of, of you know, the things that drive me and really motivate me in education. And there'd be some people who perhaps would listen to that and they'd say, isn't there a kind of inherent contradiction because what you're saying is you you were always interested in you were drawn to the idea of the national kind of trust and we know that AET if I if I remember correctly had you know school on the Isle of Wight and then it would have school up in the northeast and at the same time in the same sentence what you talk about is you are drawn to the idea of place now the big criticism of course of the big trust is they have no sense of what the local community might want can you just talk us through your how you, how you put those two things together a national trust which is understanding the needs of local communities yeah and i think that this is really important at this phase of our development i think that it doesn't matter how large the trust whether it's whether it's local regional national whether it's constituted of turnaround schools converter schools free schools you can never you can never forget that schools exist at the heart of their communities and they have to be relevant to their communities. They have to reflect the colour and character and context of their communities. And I think it is, it's very easy for us to see the trust as the significant unit. Whereas for me, the the significant unit in the trust is the school and the school is in the heart of its community. And so I think I don't see it at looking from the trust level down to the school. So I see it very much as as looking from individual schools working back up. And and I I deliberately describe us as a network of schools. I think that networks are really different from hierarchies and understanding the difference between establishing a network and the, the agency and energy that that can bring. 
is very different from the rigidity of a, of a hierarchy. And I think that actually it doesn't matter what your size is. You could be, you could be a, a relatively small, very local trust um, and, and schools could start to feel homogenous, constrained, um, unable necessarily to have, have the, the agency to reflect, to reflect the needs which may be unique to their particular communities. And I think that you can you can retain that whilst also saying if we're serious about an entitlement to excellence for every child everywhere, there have to be some some sort of fundamental features that we think matter for every child and therefore should be present in every school. And I think getting the balance right between those two things is really essential. And and in terms of the sort of large organisation, I really do think that you can make an organisation feel enormous and amorphous or you can make it feel um, connected and purposeful um, for, for individuals. And, and, and it, that's about the choices that you make. And presumably what that means is that, that uh, an AET school in Community A might be doing some things, not all things, but some things which are quite distinctively different from what an AET school might be doing in Community is that right? Because what you're basically doing is building from the ground up in terms of what is it that those young people in that community need? Absolutely. Yeah. Educational excellence, I think, has some universal features. And I think that's really important. And one of the one of the really positive benefits, I think, is that is that the opportunity to recalibrate around a shared view of what excellent really looks like and, and have exposure to experiences and examples which may not necessarily be opened up to you if you were solely focused in in in, in one place. Um, but I do think that you have to you have to also give that latitude and license to be relevant to your local communities. One of the first things that I did was was create a regional structure which is um, com- runs completely counter actually to the organisational organisational design um, that my predecessor put in place through turnaround. But for me, it was so important for us to break the organisation down so that it felt relevant in, it, in, it, in its sort of local communities. Uh, and, and that we, we saw, we, I use the phrase, we turn the network inside out. You know, we see it from the school first, from the child first, from the teacher first. And then we can flip it and think about really thoughtfully about where we add value at a whole network level. But actually, being always really clear about the tangible impact that it has in classrooms. And when you reflect on the role that you're doing now as a, a, a chief exec compared to the role you've had previously when you were, um, let's say, a head teacher or, or prior to that, a deputy in a single school, what, what's, a, what's the skill set you particularly had to develop in this role? Is it, is it all around stra- strategic work? Yeah, I do think that it's the ability to see the system, actually, and to and to think conceptually and to see your responsibility for shaping the system um, and contributing to it. I think that's probably the biggest difference. Although I will say to all of our school principals that they have the really challenging, challenging task of fulfilling three roles. So they are a leader in their school community. They are a team member and a leader in a regional team. And they are an education leader in a national network. And so one of the things that I think we need to do as we move into the next phase of the of the education system is enable and help and support and actually expect more and more people to see the system and to see the wider contribution that they can make. I think that I was fortunate in that that, that sort of formative experience setting up that school sport partnership 
um, gave me exposure to scale far earlier than, than, than you would normally than, than you would normally obtain it. I think that's probably the key difference. I do think though that that everybody does the job that they do in a slightly different way, and and for me being connected to teaching and connected to classrooms and having a clear view that actually developing our teachers and investing in them is the single most important thing alongside developing our leaders and investing in them that we can do. So there's a lot of it that I think, actually, I draw upon my experience of headship all the time. And I think that keeps me honest. Yeah, yeah, understood. Let me just ask you one last thing, if I could, Bex, because uh, as you know, we're at a, an interesting point with the government, which essentially is using a different language, uh, but believes that schools working in, in well-governed partnerships, whether we call them multi-academy trusts, whether we call them trusts, whether we call them families of schools, whatever it is, that we have unfinished business and we need to move forward in terms of bringing those together. And in a sense, what you do is you articulate the importance of that. And I think, you know, genuinely right from the beginning have understood the power that that brings to it. But of course, there are lots of people who will be either in a local authority school doing good work or will be in a single academy trust again, doing good work, who will be saying, well, what, why, why would I want to buy into that? Where's the moral purpose of all of this? What's the sense of mission? How do I benefit? But how does my community benefit? Could you just articulate what, where you see uh, us in England in particular going next and what the big benefits will be for young people in particular as we move towards more and more schools working in this kind of strong, well-governed, collaborative approach? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that the first point to make is that we are all interdependent. Uh, and, and even if we choose not to not to engage with those with those interdependencies, they are they are there and they are inevitable. I think for me, it comes back to that sense of feeling a responsibility to every child, um, even those that you may never meet and appealing to that to that in school leaders. I think there is also something about the longer term resilience of the system. I think we're all well aware of examples where really exceptional school leaders have done remarkable things in in, in the schools that they've led. And then they leave and, and, you know, five, 10 years later, the school's in a very different place. So I have a very strong sense of us building the resilience into the system. And, and thinking hard about actually how do we build a system which is optimised to make sure that 10, 15, 20, 25 years from now, those sort of contours of variation that exist today are less likely to still be present. And yet schools are only ever improving or declining. Uh, and, and I think sometimes it takes being able to work closely with others who were once removed to actually actually see that. But I also think we need to be really, really thoughtful about how you still have the space in a sort of connected formal network of schools for brilliant leaders who are working, doing fantastic work in in individual schools to, to not have the space and the agency to be creative. And I don't, I, I really do think that with a, with a sort of mature and, and sort of nuanced approach to to alignment I think that you can have it's an and both question I think one of the challenges that we face is that we haven't always been thoughtful enough about about listening to the alternative view and and as we sort of start I hope to move towards um, this sort of final phase of building coherence in the system 
what will also, it will demand a mature conversation. But I also hope it will be quite an antidote to what's felt increasingly sort of polarised and tribal in terms of the discourse across education. Because one of the, the, the real opportunities, and I've long said this, is I think that you learn more by exposing yourself and understanding difference than you do by, by, by reinforcing your views um, from only focusing on those which align or are similar. And so there is something about spreading the diversity of the system, which I think is quite compelling. Um, but we have to listen, I think, and 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 you know, we have to. I think holding holding that diversity of the system and seeing that as a real strength, while building coherence and resilience, seems to me to be a fundamental a, a fundamental factor if we're going to move through this um, smoothly and 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 in a way that leaves it better for future generations. Bex, I love the the uh, reassurance of that, the optimism, the the clarity of all that. Uh, Bex Boomerclock, thanks so much for talking to us this afternoon. My pleasure. Thank you. The Ascal Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton.